0: Welcome to Ethereum Audible, Ethereum In-Depth, I'm Yehoshua Shua and welcome back to where we read the best in the Ethereum and Web3 ecosystem. It's 2022, this is the year of the merge, and so I wanted us to dive into what Ethereum 2.0 really is, what it includes, sharding, rollups, beacon chain, proof of stake, all of those different things, and kind of dive at that from all of the different angles so that we understand what's at stake throughout the rest of the year and the big promise, some of the risk factors, and what the hell Ethereum 2.0 even is because there's been a lot of different terms, numbers, and nicknames for the Ethereum upgrades over the year, whether it's been Casper or Gasper or Serenity 1.5, 1.0, 0.2, whatever it is, we're going to be diving into ethereum 2.0 and i wanted to start this read with a great great breakdown um, that i found it's a little bit outdated it's from may 23rd 2020 but actually it's still one of the best primers on the beacon chain that i found out there it's by ethos.dev and simply it's called the beacon chain ethereum 2.0 explainer you need to read first but first i want to thank the sponsors of the show who made this episode possible this episode is brought to you by alp audio want to learn on the go but need more depth than a podcast Alp is the app for you it's an audio education app that brings great in-depth courses that are as fun as podcasts but as educational as a degree each lesson comes with summaries additional resources flashcards and more You can even find Ethereum Audible on ALP with all of those additional resources. If you want to check it out, head over to get.alpaudio.com and that's A-L-P-E, ALP, A-L-P-E. Let's go. The Beacon Chain, Ethereum 2.0, explainer you need to read first. Remember the joy you felt when you started getting aha moments about blockchains. Are you eager for a similar understanding of the beacon chain? Ethereum's beacon chain is the heart of a system where most content is too technical, niche, or not deep enough. Here, you'll gain a gratifying understanding of the beacon chain's elements and mechanics. Examples will explain key details at the right level to make you proficient and save time. We assume you have a solid foundation of Ethereum or Bitcoin and some familiarity with proof of stake. Let's dig into the bigger picture of shards, staking validators, attestations, committees, checkpoints, and finality. Sharding. A big picture. To appreciate the beacon chain, an introduction to sharding helps. The main problem in scalability that blockchains, including Ethereum, currently faces is every node has to verify and execute every transaction. In computer science, there are two main approaches to scaling. A, scaling vertically, as in basically make nodes more and more powerful, B, scaling horizontally, basically add more nodes. For decentralization, blockchains need to scale horizontally. A goal of Ethereum 2.0, also called ETH2, or Serenity, is for nodes to run on consumer hardware. Sharding is the term for horizontally partitioning a database. Generally, A shard chain has a subset of nodes processing it. Virtual miners, validators, are assigned to shards and only process and validate transactions in that shard, as in that chain. Ethereum's shards have a dynamic subset of nodes processing it block by block. The main challenge with sharding, a blockchain, is the security of shards. Since validators are spread out across shards, malicious validators could take over a single shard. A key part to a solution is random shuffling of validators, where every shard block has a pseudo-randomly chosen committee of validators. This ensures that it is mathematically improbable that an attacker controlling less than a third of all validators can attack a single shard. Fraud proofs, custody proofs, and data availability checks are also important security components but require their own explainers. The current ETH2 plan is for 64 shards, although shards are separate from the Beacon Chain, we'll describe some key elements of the overall system. Sharding has revealed clues about what the Ethereum Beacon Chain does and needs. We'll acquire a sense of why there are additional components to classical blockchains. The nascent field of sharded blockchains always welcomes innovation from inspired readers. Ethereum 2.0 Phases. Briefly, Ethereum 2.0 has three phases. Phase zero is the beacon chain. Phase one is shards, and phase two is execution. An analogy with a human body would be that phase zero is the heart, phase one is the limbs, and phase two is the brain. An analogy with an orchestra that's tough to beat is phase zero as the conductor, phase one as the instruments, and phase two as the musician. All phases are integral to the system, and have different characteristics. Phase 0 is part of Ethereum 2020. Phase 1 is generally more inanimate and static than the other phases. Phase 2 is generally about action and agency. Slots and Epochs The beacon chain provides the heartbeat to Ethereum 2.0. It provides the tempo and rhythm for the system's harmony and consensus. Each slot is 12 seconds. And an epoch is 32 slots, or 6.4 minutes. A slot is a chance for a block to be added to the beacon chain and shards. You can imagine that the beacon chain and shard chains are choreographed in lockstep. Every 12 seconds, one beacon chain block and 64 shard blocks are added when the system is running optimally. Validators do need to be roughly synchronized with time. A slot is like the block time, but slots can be empty. Genesis blocks for the beacon chain and shards are at slot 0. Shards will start at a future epoch, than the beacon chain's epoch 0, but will have their own epoch 0 that includes their genesis blocks. An introduction to validators, attestations, and the beacon chain. While proof-of-work is associated with miners, in Ethereum 2.0 validators are proof-of-stake virtual miners. Validators are actively participating in the consensus of the Ethereum 2.0 protocol. Their incentives are discussed later when we'll get into staking rewards and penalties. A block proposer is a validator that has been pseudo-randomly selected to build a block. Most of the time, validators are attesters that vote on beacon blocks and shard blocks. These votes are recorded in the beacon chain. The votes determine the head of the beacon chain and the heads of the shards. At every epoch, a validator is pseudo-randomly assigned to a slot and shard. The validator is participating in the consensus of that assigned shard so that it can vote for that shard's head. The validator links the shard head to the beacon block for a slot. An attestation is a validator's vote, weighed by the validator's balance. Attestations are broadcasted by validators in addition to blocks. Validators also police each other and are rewarded for reporting other validators that make conflicting votes or propose multiple blocks. The contents of the beacon chain is primarily a registry of validator addresses, the state of each validator, attestations, and links to shards. Validators are activated by the beacon chain and can transition to states, briefly described later in beacon chain validator activation and the life cycle. Staking validators, semantics. Validators are virtual and are activated by stakers. In proof of work, users buy hardware to become miners. In Ethereum 2.0, users stake ETH to activate and control validators. It is clear to associate stakers with a stake and validators with a balance. Each validator has a maximum balance of 32 ETH, but stakers can stake all their ETH. For every 32 ETH staked, one validator is activated. Validators are executed by validator clients that make use of a beacon chain node. A beacon node has the functionality of following and reading the beacon chain. A validator client can implement beacon node functionality or make calls into beacon nodes. One validator client can execute one or more validators. Crosslinks, routing shards to the beacon chain. A crosslink is a reference in a beacon block to a shard block. A crosslink is how the beacon chain follows the head of a shard chain. As there are 64 shards, each beacon block can contain up to 64 crosslinks. A beacon block might only have one crosslink, if at that slot there was no proposed blocks for 63 of the shards. Crosslinks are planned for the ETH2 phase 1 to route the shard chains into the beacon chain serving as the base of the shard fork choice, shard chain finality, and for cross-shard communication. All shard chains are following the beacon chain at all times. Committees. Introduction. A committee is a group of validators. For security, each slot in the beacon chain and each shard has committees of at least 128 validators. An attacker has less than a one in a trillion probability of controlling two-thirds of committee. The concept of a randomness beacon that emits random numbers for the public lends its name to the Ethereum beacon chain. The beacon chain enforces consensus on a pseudorandom random process called Randau. Proposers are selected by Randau with a weighting on the validator's balance. It's possible a validator is a proposer and committee member for the same slot, but it's not the norm. The probability of this happening is 1 out of 32 so we'll see it about once per epoch. The sketch depicts a scenario with less than 8192 validators, otherwise there would be at least two committees per slot. This beacon chain explainer focuses on beacon committees, the validators that serve the beacon chain. A beacon committee is pseudorandomly assigned a shard to cross-link into a beacon block. There are no persistent committees. The committee responsible for cross-linking a shard block changes block by block. Shard committees that solely build shard chain blocks are a future topic. It's possible for many shard blocks to be built by shard chain validators that do not interact with the beacon chain. However, for a shard to communicate with other shards, it needs a beacon committee to cross-link it to a beacon block. Here there's a diagram showing three different scenarios that will break down. In Scenario 1, in Slot 1, a block is proposed and then attested by two validators. One validator in Committee A was offline. The attestations and block at Slot 1 propagate the network and reach many validators. In Scenario 2, a block is proposed and a validator in Committee B does not see it. Thus, it attests that the beacon chain head is the block at Slot 1. Note this validator is different from the offline validator from Slot 1. Attesting to the beacon chain head is called an LMD ghost vote. In slot 3, all validators in committee C run the LMD ghost fork choice rule and independently attest to the same head. A validator can only be in one committee per epoch. Typically, there are more than 8,192 validators, meaning more than one committee per slot. All committees are the same size and have at least 128 validators. The security probabilities decrease when there are less than 4096 validators because committees would have less than 128 validators. Committees, the crux. At every epoch, validators are evenly divided across slots and then subdivided into committees of appropriate size. All of the validators from that slot attest to the beacon chain head. Each of the committees in that slot Attempts to cross-link a particular shard. A shuffling algorithm scales up or down the number of committees per slot to get at least 128 validators per committee. As an example, assume 16,384 validators. 512 validators are pseudo-randomly assigned to slot one, and another 512 to slot two, and so on. The 512 validators for slot one are subdivided into four committees and pseudo-randomly assigned to shards. Assume that shards 33, 55, 22, and 11 are the shards assigned. All 512 validators cast a Slot 1 LMD Ghost vote. 128 validators in one of the four committees attempt to cross-link shard 33. In another committee, 128 validators attempt to cross-link shard 55. 128 validators in another committee attempt to cross-link shard 22. Another 128 validators attempt to cross-link shard 11. For slot 2, the pro- process repeats. The 512 validators for slot 2 are subdivided into four committees and pseudo-randomly assigned to shards. Assume that shards 41, 2017, and 15 are the shard assignments, and all 512 validators for slot 2 attest their views of the beacon chain head at slot 2. The committees attempt to cross-link those shards 41, 20, 17, and 15. The process repeats for the remaining slots in the epoch. Each validator has a slot when it can speak up, attest, and crosslink. At the end of the epoch, all 16,384 validators have had a chance to attest and crosslink. But so far, the validator votes have been slot-specific rather than epoch-specific. It's like voting for your local government rather than voting in a broader national election all 16,384 validators have not voted on the same thing. The upcoming sections on checkpoints and finality describe the epoch-specific votes that validators cast when it's their slot to speak up. At their assigned slot, all validators also vote for the epoch's checkpoint. Beacon Chain Checkpoints. A checkpoint is a block in the first slot of an epoch. If there is no such block, then the checkpoint is the preceding most recent block. There's always one checkpoint per epoch. A block can be the checkpoint for multiple epochs. Epoch boundary blocks are a term in some of the literature, such as the Gasper paper, and they can be considered synonymous and with checkpoints. When casting an LMD ghost vote, a validator also votes for the checkpoint in its current epoch, called the target. This vote is called a CASPER-FFG vote, and also includes a prior checkpoint, called the source. A vote that is made by two-thirds of the total balance of all active validators is deemed a supermajority. Pedagogically, suppose there are three active validators. Two have a balance of 8 ETH, and a sole validator with a balance of 32 ETH. The supermajority vote must contain the vote of the sole validator, although The other two validators may vote differently to the sole validator, and they do not have enough balance to form the supermajority. Finality. When an epoch ends, if its checkpoint has garnered a two-thirds supermajority, the checkpoint gets justified. If a checkpoint, B, is justified, and the checkpoint in the immediate next epoch becomes justified, then B becomes finalized. Typically, a checkpoint is finalized in two epochs, or 12.8 minutes. On average, a user transaction would be in a block in the middle of an epoch. It's half an epoch until the next checkpoint, suggesting transaction finality of two and a half epochs, around 16 minutes. Optimally, more than two-thirds of attestations will have been included by the 22nd slot of an epoch. Thus, transaction finality is an average of 14 minutes. Block confirmations emerge from a block's attestations, to its justification, to its finality. Use cases can decide whether they need finality or an earlier safety threshold is sufficient. To simplify the following narratives, assume that validators all have the same balance. What happened at the beacon chain head? And here there's a chart, a diagram that I want to go over because I think it'll make this past section makes sense. So we said that a slot an epoch has 32 slots. And so the first, imagine you have the Genesis block, that's at slot 0. The first epoch ends at slot 32. Then you have another 32 slots for the next epoch. So that'll be at slot 64. And the next one will be at slot 96. Now At slot 32, when we finish the first epoch, the beacon chain will look for two-thirds of attestations. And it'll do that every 32 slots. Basically, at the end of every epoch, it'll look to justify the ending slot of the previous epoch. So at 64, it'll look to justify 32. At 96, it'll look to justify 64. It also looks two epochs back. And if we've justified both of those, so if at slot 96 we are justifying 64 and 64 has justified 32, that means that checkpoint at slot 32 becomes finalized. And now we are going to go back to the breakdown. The epoch boundary block at slot 96 is proposed and contains attestations for the Epoch 2 checkpoint. The number of attestations for the Epoch 2 checkpoint now reaches the two-thirds supermajority. This causes the justification of the Epoch 2 checkpoint, and thus the finality of the previously justified Epoch 1 checkpoint. The finality of slot 32 immediately causes the finality of all blocks preceding it. When finalizing a checkpoint, There is no limit to the number of blocks that can be finalized. Although finality is only computed at epoch boundaries, attestations are accumulated at each block, as described in alternate narratives, what could have happened from the genesis to the head, which we'll get into below. All the crosslinks contained in the beacon block, from slot 1 to slot 32, would lead to the finality of the shard chains. In other words, A shard block is finalized when it is cross-linked into a beacon block that is finalized. A cross-link by itself is insufficient to finalize a shard block, but contributes to the shard chain's fork choice. What could have happened from Genesis to the head? With the same illustration, with the same diagram of slots from 0 to 96, here is a storyline that could have been observed from Genesis. All the proposers from Slot 1 until Slot 63 propose a block, and these appear on-chain. With each block in Epoch 1, its checkpoint, which is the block at Slot 32, accumulates attestations from 55% of the validators. The block at Slot 64 is proposed, and it includes attestations from the Epoch 1 checkpoint. Now 70% of validators have attested to the Epoch 1 checkpoint. This causes its justification. The Epoch 2 checkpoint at slot 64 accumulates attestations throughout Epoch 2 but does not reach the 2 thirds majority. The block at slot 96 is proposed and it includes attestations for the epoch two checkpoint. This leads to reaching the two-thirds supermajority and the justification of the epoch two checkpoint. Justifying the Epoch 2 checkpoint finalizes the Epoch 1 checkpoint and all prior blocks. Here's another possible scenario. Consider only until epoch 1. The checkpoint at epoch 1 could have obtained a two-thirds supermajority before the checkpoint at epoch 2 is proposed. For example, as the blocks in slot 32 to slot 54 are proposed, the attestations to justify the checkpoint at slot 32 could have already reached the two-thirds supermajority. In this case, the checkpoint would have been justified before epoch 2, A checkpoint can be justified in its current epoch, but its finalization requires at least the epoch after it. The justification of a block can sometimes finalize a block two or more epochs ago. The Gasper paper discusses these cases. They are expected only in exceptional times of high latency, network partitions, or strong attacks. Finality is essential for shards and parties to Ethereum's blockchain to have guarantees about transactions. Finality reduces complexity with cross-shard communications. Without finality, cascading rollbacks of transactions within and across shards would be disruptive and could nullify sharding benefits. Attestations a closer look An attestation contains both an LMD ghost vote and an FFG vote. Optimally, all validators submit one attestation per epoch. An attestation has 32 slot chances for inclusion on-chain. This means a validator may have two attestations included on-chain in a single epoch. Validators are rewarded the most when their attestation is included on-chain at their assigned slot. Later inclusion is a decaying reward. To give validators time to prepare, they are assigned to committees one epoch in advance. Proposers are only assigned to slots once the epoch starts. Nonetheless, secret leader election research aims to mitigate attacks or bribing of proposers. Committees allow for the technical optimization of combining signatures for each attester into a signal aggregate signature. When validators in the same committee make the same LMD ghost and FFG votes, their signatures can be aggregated. So I want to stop the read here just for a few minutes to briefly recap what we've been talking about until here, because it can get a little bit into the weeds. And in audio, I recognize that that's actually kind of challenging, especially with all the numbers, the epochs, the slots, um, the different cross-chain links. The key takeaway is that an epoch is made of 32 slots, a slot is a few seconds long, and an epoch is around six and a half minutes long. And what each slot is, is the ability for a validator to propose a block into the blockchain. And then the committee that was delegated to that shard, to that block, attests to it, votes on it. And if they find that everything is hunky-dory, then they approve it. And that goes into the blockchain. At the end of the epoch, things become justified. And then at the end of two epochs, they become finalized. Um, In Bitcoin, that would be at the end of six blocks. That's the current consensus on when things are finalized. So in Ethereum, that would be after two epochs, which is around 14, 15 minutes, depending on where in that 32 slot your block was. And that's the core of the Beacon Chain voting committee, accepting, attesting functionality. There are two terms that have been thrown around here, and that's the LMD Ghost and FFG Votes. Um, Those are two papers that were written by Vitalik and the crew at the Ethereum Foundation on the consensus mechanism of the beacon chain. And maybe we'll do a read through of them in the future, depending on kind of how technical uh, and interesting they are. But that's all you need to know. They're basically the consensus and finality algorithms for a proof-of-stake, specifically the Beacon Chain Proof-of-Stake Network. Great. So now that you have those basics in mind, we are going to continue with staking rewards and penalties. Here we go. Without getting too deep, we'll discuss six topics regarding validator incentives. 1. Attester rewards. 2. Attester penalties. 3. Typical downside risk for stakers. 4. Slashings and whistleblower rewards. 5. Proposer Rewards and 6. Inactivity Leak Penalties 1. Validators get rewards for making attestations, as in LMD ghosts and FFG votes, that the majority of the validators agree with. In ETH2, Phase 1, validators will also receive rewards for crosslinks. Attestations in finalized blocks are worth more. 2. On the flip side, validators get penalties for not attesting, or if they attest to blocks that are not finalized. 3. Before outlining less common penalties and rewards, you may want to know your downside risk in becoming a staker. As a staker concerned about how much ETH you may lose, it's close to a mirror of how much you can earn. For example, if a validator stands to make 10% in a year on attester rewards, an honest validator stands to lose 7.5% if they do the worst job possible. A validator that is always offline or always votes on blocks that do not get finalized will be penalized 75% the amount that a validator would be rewarded for making punctual attestations that are finalized. The 365-day example means that falling offline for a few days or weeks is a much smaller penalty. Dropping offline for 36 days would lose you around 75 basis points. 4. Slashings are penalties ranging from over half ETH up to a validator's entire stake. An honest, secure validator cannot be slashed by the actions of other validators. For committing a slashable offense, a validator loses at least 132 parts of their balance and is deactivated. This is called a forced exit. The validator is penalized as if it were offline for 8192 epochs. The protocol also imposes an additional penalty based on how many others have been slashed near the same time. The basic formula for the additional penalty is the validator balance times 3 times the fraction of validators slashed. An effect is that if a third of all validators commit a slashable offense in a similar period of time, they lose their entire balance. The validator that reports a slashable offense gets a whistleblower's reward. Five. Proposers of blocks that get finalized obtain a sizable reward. Validators that are consistently online doing a good job accrue one eighth boost to their total rewards for proposing blocks with new attestations. When slashing happens, proposers also get a small reward for including the slashing evidence in a block. In ETH2 phase zero, all of the whistleblower's rewards actually goes to the proposer. Six. Ethereum 2.0 is a system with many mechanisms, some that can be appreciated more by their overall effects. The designed rewards and penalties culminate in an inactivity leak penalty. This is severe and rare, unlike typical risks in number three. Basically, if there have been more than four epochs, since finality, validators suffer an inactivity penalty that increases quadratically until a checkpoint is finalized the inactivity penalty, or quadratic leak, guarantees this type of outcome. If 50% of validators drop offline, blocks will start finalizing again after 18 days. The quadratic leak drains problematic validators to a forced exit so that other validators will become a two-thirds majority that can resume finality. The inactivity leak does not drain validators that are operating optimally. During an inactivity leak, Attester rewards are zero. Validators earn proposer and whistleblower rewards as usual. Slashable offenses. There are three slashing conditions for validators. They can be described as a double proposal, an FFG surround vote, and an FFG double vote. A double proposal is a proposer proposing more than one block for their assigned slot. A surround vote is a validator casting an FFG vote that surrounds or is surrounded by a previous FFG vote they made. Here are two examples based on a scenario that a validator made an FFG vote in Epoch 5 with a source of slot 32 and target of slot 128. First example is an FFG vote in Epoch 6 with a source of slot 64 and target of slot 96 would be an FFG vote that was surrounded by their epoch 5 vote. Or an FFG vote in epoch 6 with a source of slot 0 and target of slot 160 would surround their FFG vote in epoch 5. A double vote is a validator casting two FFG votes for any two targets at the same epoch. This can happen during a fork. A validator casting both votes commits a slashable offense called double voting. An intuition behind slashing double votes is so that validators vote for one chain rather than two or more forks. A whistleblowing validator needs to include the conflicting votes to prove that another validator should be slashed. Efficiently finding a conflicting vote among a large history is an algorithms and data structure challenge. A validator is in total control to avoid getting slashed. It only needs to remember what it has signed. An honest validator cannot be slashed by the actions of other validators. As long as a validator does not sign a conflicting attestation or proposal, the validator cannot be slashed. A validator client may use multiple beacon nodes for factors like better uptime, trust, and denial of service protection. In these setups, or where a backup validator client is used, Users need to be careful that the validator does not sign conflicting messages. Beacon Chain Validator Activation and Lifecycle. Each validator needs a balance of 32 ETH to get activated. A user staking 32 ETH into a deposit contract on Ethereum mainnet will activate one validator. The beacon chain deactivates all validators whose balance reaches 16 ETH. Stakers will be able to withdraw any remaining validator balances but not in the ETH2 phase zero. Validators can also voluntary exit after serving for 2048 epochs, or around nine days. In any voluntary or forced exit, there is a delay of four epochs before stakers can withdraw their stake. Within the four epochs, a validator can still be caught and slashed. An honest validator's balance is withdrawable in around 27 hours, but a slashed validator incurs a delay of 8192 epochs, which is approximately 36 days. Further technical details are described in A Note on Ethereum 2.0 Phase 0 Validator Lifecycle. To avoid large changes in the validator set in a short amount of time, there are mechanisms limiting how many validators can be activated or exited within an epoch. For example, These make it more difficult to activate many validators quickly to attack the system. The Beacon Chain uses a deeper concept of effective balances, which change less often than validator balances, and enable technical optimizations. Wrapping up. At every epoch, validators are evenly divided across slots and then subdivided into committees of appropriate size. Validators can only be in one slot and in one committee. Collectively, all validators in an epoch attempt to finalize the same checkpoint, with an FFG vote. All validators assigned to a slot attempt to vote on the same beacon chain head, the LMD ghost vote. All validators assigned to a committee attempt to cross-link a particular shard. Optimal behavior rewards validators the most. Activation of the beacon chain requires at least 16,000 384 validators at Genesis. The number of validators can decrease with slashings or voluntary exits, or stakers can activate more. Many more validators are expected as the system ramps up to ETH2, Phase 1, and beyond. The beacon chain needs at least 262,144 validators, which is over 8 million ETH staked, to have blocks that include 64 crosslinks. The world's never had a scalable platform for decentralized systems and applications before. If you're inspired to dive deeper, authoritative references are in the Ethereum 2.0 specifications, which include the Beacon Chain spec, links to other key resources, and issues with bounties. Currently, the most pressing need is peer-to-peer networking. Contribute or refer others to challenges at ETH Research or the Ethereum Magicians Forum and be part of making history. All right, well, that is the Beacon Chain read-through, the read-through you need by ethos.dev. And I wanted to do this one, even though it's a tiny bit out of date, because A, I like going back in time to see what people thought would would, would happen originally, and then kind of going forward, zooming forward in time and seeing how things are playing out so we can get a better idea of the complexities and as you might have heard, this is complex. The beacon chain Ethereum 2.0 is not simple. It is a complex, complex system. Um, and the truth is where we are today, a lot of people never thought we'd reach because we are actually much closer to the merge than a lot of other, i called call them Bitcoin maxis or just people in the ecosystem give the team credit for. I think the merge is coming. It's coming in, I'd say, the first half, early second half of this year, within the next six months. And what that merge is, is basically the merging of the proof of work chain, which is what Ethereum currently is, with the beacon chain, the proof of stake chain. Um, Just a word kind of on the roadmap, because the roadmap is a little bit different from what this paper and article represents. Today, the, the... roadmap, and we'll get into this much more in the next few read-throughs. So the roadmap today is all around roll-ups, which were not mentioned here at all, merging proof-of-work and proof-of-stake, and shards, which most of this paper kind of discussed the complexities of it, are really going to come last. They're not going to be in 22 at at all, um, maybe 23. And the reason is, which you might have intuited already, is because they're freaking complex. Coordinating a chain and 4, 16, 64 shards is just a huge, huge headache. It opens the surface attack and coordination problem between the chains immensely, and that's why it's coming last. So what we got in this paper and why I really did want to read it is because it gives a very good overview of the Beacon Chain's proof of stake, Um, which, as you can hear, proof of stake is complicated. It's not the simple and elegant Um, format that Bitcoin's proof of work is. And it has to artificially create a lot of the systems that the proof of work kind of naturally gives to us with its proof of work. Um, So in the same way, slashing, you have to create that offense where people lose their money. In proof of work, if you work on a block or the chain that doesn't become the chain, then you've lost all of that electricity and power cost. Um, And so how do you do that in a proof-of-stake system? So I think it's just a good point to step back for a second and remind us of why proof-of-stake to begin with. Um, And this goes back to the first read-through we did on Ethereum Audible called Why Proof-of-Stake? And the three reasons that were given there are, one, it's the cost of attack. So Vitalik and the Ethereum Foundation believe that attacking a proof-of-stake system is more cost prohibitive than attacking a proof of work system. Second reason is the ease of recovery from attack, the ability to do those committee driven soft forks, hard forks. And three, it's network decentralization, enabling anyone with 32 ETH to stake and become a validator and, and a tester um, rather than just the miners. And so those are the three reasons. There's a fourth reason, which is just the speed of the network can increase because you can quote unquote, find a block every few seconds with a validator rather than the proof of work mining algorithm. And that lets you kind of increase the throughput. But that comes with a lot of complications. Um, Scheduling the epochs, right? Letting validators know in advance, uh, six minutes in advance, when they will be kind of submitting their block for, for approval. The whole system of coordinating consensus and finality when there is no material cost to proposing an additional chain, right? Like that's the main problem in proof of stake. There is no proof of work where you have to spend the electricity to mine. Someone can just create blocks out of thin air. So how do you create the finality and kind of give those chains, those blocks, credence and weight? Um, So all of that is part of the complicated system that proof of stake is now a lot of the times people who are in the bitcoin world forget that there are actually a lot of proof of stake chains that are up and have been running for several years with not that many issues Um, it actually does work it's a very very different mindset than proof of work and it's a mindset that's driven on i'll call it um, politics and kind of human consensus the ability to recover from an attack around hard-forking a community of people, of stakers that coordinated, And so it's a much more, I'll call it a human-centric approach rather than a code-centric approach. Uh, But those are just two core fundamental differences between communities that run on proof of work and proof of stake. So this was, I think, a great place to start on Ethereum 2.0, where we are, kind of what the vision was. This is, again, a reminder, May 23rd, 2020, so already a year and a half ago. Since then, the vision has shifted a little bit. Shards are coming last. Rollups and layer twos are already here, and that's been a major, major focus. Um, and the merge between the proof of work and proof of stake is going to be happening within the next six months. In the next few reads, we're going to be diving into kind of the current roadmap, which is a rollup centric roadmap, and getting to the end game of where we're going with Ethereum 2.0 over the next four or five years.